listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So Father, we invite you into this place, Lord. We invite you to work in whatever way you see fit today, Lord. Uh, We invite you, Lord, to have your way, God. Um, Father, we are going to lift your name today on high. Father, we we have come to hear from your word today, Lord. And uh, so, God, we, we invite you, Lord, to have your way today. God, I pray that you would uh, just uh, take away any demonic oppression, Lord, that we... we, we, we um, uh, any foul being that is trying to get in the way of what you want to do today, Lord, we, we cast it out in the name of Jesus right now. And uh, Lord, we pray that you don't hold anything back from us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, there, uh, there's a saying that goes like this, and it, and, uh, it, it says, uh, do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise small beginnings. It's actually a paraphrased version of Zechariah 4.10. And uh, that verse goes like this. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Uh, The way this phrase is used worldwide applies to anything from small business owners to independent musicians and so on. And uh, when, when, um, when used in these contexts, the concept uh, of this phrase is trying to convey um, this feeling of that not all small beginnings are bad, right? Um, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, the, the founder of Amazon, the juggernaut co- company, right, um, that revolutionized my Christmas shopping, right? Um, uh, and just shopping in general, really, like it, it revolutionized it. But Amazon started in his garage in Bellevue, Washington. He sold his first book online in 1995, and now it's the world's largest online retailer, from the garage to being the world's largest. Uh, About 45 minutes down the road from Disneyland Park in Anaheim, there's a house in Los Angeles uh, where the Walt Disney Company got its start. In 1923, the house belonged to Walt Disney's uncle. It didn't even belong to Walt Disney. It belonged to his uncle, and uh, 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 Robert Disney. And, And Walt and his brother Roy moved in with their uncle and set up the first Disney studio in the one-car garage, right? And, and there they started filming the, the Alice comedies, which was a series of short films featuring both live action and animation. And uh, it was the first thing they ever produced as Disney Studios. And I don't think I have to tell you you know, where Disney has gone. I mean, they buy all my favorite things, Marvel, Star Wars, like you know, um, Pixar, like, um, but today Disney's the highest grossing media conglomerate in the world, right? Do not despise small beginnings. Harold, Harold Matt Matson, so Matt, uh, and Elliot Handler, um, founded Mattel, 
the Mattel toy company, out of their garage in Southern California. But get this, it was as a picture frame company in 1945. To get the most out of their materials, they started using picture frame scraps to create dollhouses, right? And soon their dollhouses were selling better than their picture frames. So they turned their business emphasis toward toys. And today, Mattel Incorporated is the highest grossing toy company in the world. In 1976, uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak at age 21 and 26 respectively started Apple computers by selling 50 units of Wozniak's Apple One computer. Uh, and if you and if you like saw a picture of it, they actually have the Apple One in in the Smithsonian. But it looks like something a kid like it's made, like the frame is made out of wood and it's like scratched Apple One on it. And it's like I mean, it looks like something my kid made in the garage or something. But but uh, but the they so they um, they sold fifty of these Apple One computers and and uh, at five hundred dollars a piece. And um, they, they, they took, Jobs took the purchase order to the parts distributor and ordered the parts and the Steves and their small team together hand built 50 computers in 30 days from a garage in Cupertino. Today, Apple, you know, most valuable technology company in the world, iPhone, iPad, iWatch, AirPod, uh, Apple TV, the list goes on, right? Um, so I think you get the point, right? Small beginnings aren't bad, right? Small beginnings aren't bad. Everything starts out small at the beginning. Or do they? Or do they? When we talk about Jesus around this time of year, Christmas time, we usually lump him in to this category of small beginnings, you know, uh, uh, small beginning in a manger but had great success. And uh, we lump them into this category, but from the beginning, born in a manger and raised to death. But, but this, the whole, is that the whole truth about Jesus? That's what I'm wondering. Is that the whole truth about Jesus? That's what I'm presenting to you today. Did Jesus really... I mean, really have a small beginning. We're starting a new journey today uh, that we're going to be on together for a while, but you know that old African uh, proverb, if you, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together, right? And so we're going together, and we're going far. Um, we're... we're uh, over the next few months, we're going to be journeying through the book of John, and, and we will follow closely the story of Jesus in this gospel account uh, beginning today, all the way through, the re- through Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. So we're going to follow the story of Jesus from, from today forward all the way through Easter. And I'm really excited about this because truthfully, our teaching team has never attempted anything like this. Uh, so it should be a fun challenge. But uh, there are some things that you need to know about the book of John up front. Um, uh, the book of John is quite a bit different than the other gospel accounts. You'll notice that as we go through the book, that not every story or parable you've ever heard about Jesus is in there. 
there's just some stories that are left out. You'll, you'll also notice that the book starts off very differently than the other Gospels with basically leaving the story of Jesus' birth that we're also familiar with uh, out, out completely. Like, uh, this may seem strange at first, but John himself tells us why this is in John 20. And, and this is the very last section of the book of John, so I'm going to spoil the whole thing for you. But John 20, verse 30, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This book was written with a singular purpose, a singular purpose, that the person reading this account would believe would believe. That single word is the thesis statement of, of John's gospel, like a whittler sharpening a specific piece of art out of a clump of wood. John has shaved away anything that is not absolutely essential to the reader believing in Jesus. And, but, but not just believing anything about Jesus, to believe something very, very specific, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Now remember, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, and his middle initial isn't H either. Um, whoa, I thought that was going to do better. <laughs> <laughs> Christ is a, is a title synonymous with Messiah, which means God's anointed one, the Savior. Christ is the title that Jesus took on upon entering the earth because he was sent by God to save us from our sin and restore our relationship with God. So the book of John was written with the singular purpose that the reader would hear about who Jesus was, what he did for them, what he taught his followers and believe Jesus was the anointed one of God, the Savior. In its 21 chapters, the book of John not only encourages the reader to believe, but explains in depth what to believe, what it means to believe, and why we need to believe, which we will get into throughout the course of this series. And, and as I had said earlier, John starts out with a very different uh, beginning from the rest of the Gospels. Matthew starts out with a human genealogy of Jesus that jumps into the story of his birth. The book of Luke, which is my favorite gospel around Christmas time, uh, uh, I mean, Linus reading straight out of the book of Luke and Charlie Brown Christmas, come on, like, I love that. But uh, Luke starts out with the foretelling of, of the birth of, Je of John the Baptist and then moves into Jesus' birth. And, and the book of Mark resembles this opening as well. But the, but the book of John opens in a very strange way. It, it actually doesn't mention the birth of Jesus at all. No, no angels, no star of Bethlehem, no shepherd, no wise men, no manger, not even a little drummer boy. Um, I mean, that's not really a thing in the Bible anyways, but, but still, like, um, there isn't one. And um, uh, there's absolutely nothing Christmassy about 
the opening of the book of John, which you might be thinking, nice planning, pastor, right? Like, nice planning. Um, But, and while I seriously love Christmas and don't want to disappoint people who are looking for a starlit manger scene Christmas, uh, the book of John opens, it, it, it takes the time to remind us of something often confused or forgotten during this Christmas season. Uh, The book of John starts with this resounding echo, this huge resounding echo. Let's take a look together. If you would turn to uh, John chapter one with me, if you're not already there. Okay, verse one. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Got it? Did you catch that echo? Did you catch the echo? It's right there, big as all outdoors. In the beginning. In the beginning. Why does that sound so familiar? Oh, right, it's the very first words of the Bible in the book of Genesis, right? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right away, you can tell that the book of John is different from the other gospels because it starts off with this resounding, holy echo reverberating through all time and space, calling us back to the very beginning of creation itself. And from there, John 1 stretches us even further and the reader's preconceived notions about Jesus. And and verse 1 goes on to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what's the word? It's not the bird. I'll tell you right now. Um, Landed one. Nice. (laughs) Well, the question actually should be who is the word, right? This, this, uh, This phrase in verse one, the word, is translated from the Greek word logos. I think that's how you say it. Don't quote me on that. Logos. Uh, I spent a lot of time actually researching the root word logos this week, and, and, and basically, I basically read until my eyes turned to jelly, pretty much. And, and the clearest definition I could find was that, that carried the nuance of the word uh, logos. It, it isn't just about speaking or saying something like a, like, like a word. Logos means divine expression, That's the best definition I could find. The clearest definition I could find is is divine expression. And and who does that sound like? Jesus, right? Every time you see the phrase, the word, in this passage, it's referring to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, through John, masterfully uses the word logos to introduce Jesus because it had deep meaning to both Jews and Gentiles. And and Gentiles are just everyone who's not Jewish. 
Um, so, so, so let's get a little nerdy here and explore this further. A Jewish person hearing the word logos would immediately have connected it to the Old Testament where the logos or word of God is associated with the personification of God's revelation, right? Uh, on the other hand, the Greek, in Greek philosophy, the term logos would, would uh, use it to describe the immediate agency between which God created material things and communicated with them. In the Greek worldview, the logos was, was thought of as a bridge between the transcendent God and the material universe. And therefore, um, for his Greek readers, the use of the term logos would have likely brought forth the idea of, uh, of, of a mediating principle between God and the world. And, and so the use of logos would have immediately brought up deep spiritual imagery for both Jews and Gentiles. But, but John doesn't stop there. In the next several words of John 1, he is about to blow the minds of both cultures, right? Like wide open. And so, so let's break it down so far, what we've, what we've discussed so far. In the beginning, which calls us all the way back to the beginning of the first words of the Bible, was the word, the logos, the divine expression of God, Jesus. This next phase is where both Jewish and Gentile eyebrows would have shot up in bewilderment, I promise. Um, John 1 goes on to say, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Wait, what? What does that even mean? So if Jesus is the word, the logos, basically what you're telling me is that Jesus was present at the very beginning of creation. And not only was he with God, but he is God, right? Exactly. Wait, what? Now, even remotely grasping this concept uh, to even remotely grasp this concept, we need to clearly define God, which presents a paradox in itself because who can define the one who gave everything its definition, right? But let's give it a try. We believe in what theologians call the triune God, triune God, which, which means three in one, three in one. The best way I've found to describe this is, is God is one in essence, but three in person. God is one in essence, but three in person. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, are God. A long time ago, um, I used a triangle diagram that had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit written on the inside of the triangle, and it had all these arrows pointing to the center, um, and it said God in the center. But along the outside of the triangle, it said not God. And, and so what it was referring to is, is without, the, without the three in, in one place, um, it, uh, the one by itself wasn't God. And, and, and here's the thing is, I'm not too proud to admit when I'm wrong. And that diagram was wrong. And so if you remember that diagram, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was young and dumb. 
And, and, and so I, I, uh, I'm not too proud to admit when I'm wrong, and that diagram was completely wrong. Um, I, I, I mean, see, I used this diagram because it made logical sense to me. Like, I looked at it and was like, okay, that makes logical sense to me. But here's the thing. Uh, I could comprehend that, but it brought clarity. But the thing is, is that God is beyond our logic. And we will never fully be able to comprehend him. And the Bible continually brings us this mystery that each individual member of the Trinity is fully God, but there is one God, right? One essence, three persons, which if you think about it too long, you start saying things like, wow, man, I can't believe the universe goes on forever, like, it's just like deep, you know? Uh, this is why Jesus says to Philip in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? He, Jesus wasn't trying to be coy or withholding. He was just like, if you've seen me, you've, you've seen the Father because Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're one. And, and they are God. And if that doesn't make sense to you, good. It shouldn't make sense to you because it's a mystery, And to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be able to get comfortable with the mystery, right? Not everything is explained in a diagram. Not everything is black and white. As much as we want it to be, faith calls us into just believing in the mystery. So with that in mind, let's recap John 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the divine expression of God, Jesus, and the word was with God. The Logos, Jesus, was with God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the word was God. The Logos, Jesus, is God because God is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, we made it that far. At this rate, we should be done with the book of John in nine years. So I hope you're okay with that. Just kidding, not all of it's distance. But, um, but let's keep moving. Verse three, all things were made through him, Jesus. And without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made, which is just an overly complicated way of saying that Jesus was, was a part of, of creation. He was a part of everything that was made. And and so you might be asking yourself, what does any of this have to do with Christmas? Well, a lot, actually. Because when you simply just focus on the manger, the star and the shepherds and the wise men, we miss a vital piece of the Christmas story. And it's that the God that created the universe, came down and became human by being born to a virgin. I feel like sometimes in this season we can get so focused on how sweet the the birth of Jesus was. You know, the whole beautiful, small beginnings kind of vibe, right? Right? that we miss out on the fact that Jesus' birth in the manger wasn't the beginning of Jesus. Jesus' birth 
wasn't his beginning. Jesus was actually there at the birth of the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So as the band comes today, I bring this word to you because I don't want you to miss out on the true wonder of Christmas. Not only did the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9-6 say this, the child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace but that the child who was born was God, who loved us enough to leave his glory in heaven and come down in flesh to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be in right relationship with him. Jesus left this earth in glory, and he will return one day in glory. The story of Jesus didn't start in the manger. Jesus went from glory to glory. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story of God. This is the story of you and I. This is the true story of Christmas. I hope you continue on this journey with us in the weeks ahead. Uh, Admittedly, it's going to be a wild ride, but it's going to be so good. Let's pray. So, Father God, we just take a moment as the the Holy Spirit inspired John um, to, to remind ourselves, Lord, that that, um, Lord, that you, your, your, your beginning wasn't in the manger, Father. In fact, you had no beginning, and you will have no end, first and the last. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the sacrifice that that you gave up your glory in heaven to come and save us and be our savior, Lord. Words cannot express. As the ushers come forward, we turn our focus onto uh, our spiritual act of giving. And so, Father, we, Lord, we bring to you what is already yours. You've given us everything. And so, Jesus, have your way with it. Send it out to the neighborhood and 
in the nations, Lord. Build your kingdom with it. Build this church with it. Build other churches with it, Lord. Use it for your purposes. Provide for those in need, Lord. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.